0: All right, uh, yeah, oh, you're here, which is great, and your yes. and your audio is working. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We are really excited to speak with you. Uh, and I got to tell you, Adam, did you check it, Check out this talk that. Yes, gave I really enjoyed it. Today? Delightful talk. <laughs> I loved <laughs> it. it. Oh, oh my god, I loved it. Yeah. So I not. Uh, I mean. We can obviously talk about mediocrity as well, but just so for others, the the theme of the talk that isn't this is like a very quick lightning talk, right? Yeah, well, this is like a five I think
1: five I did minute that talk. Like, like, like a decade ago, I hope it's not horrible. I haven't looked back at
2: it. It, it holds up just as mediocre. It
0: yeah.
2: is. Oh boy. No, yeah. No, I, I think, it's, think it's, I yeah, it's wonderful. Up... Yeah.
0: No, I actually, I, I, I so No, I I think that I mean the whole theme of the talk is like y- you can. By doing things, you can get better at things. And you, I loved your line. You had a bunch of great lines there that I love. One is, I promise, no matter how bad a gardener you are, you will be able to grow food that you can eat. And I thought it was great. Like it was just the whole the whole message was like, hey, you can actually do things on your own. And I feel it's a message that us kids especially need because they are so used to this expectation that they're going to be that you know, boy, you shouldn't play soccer unless you're going to be. You know, unless you're going to be a, a soccer player in college or you shouldn't, you know, and it's just great to have folks encouraging yeah, us I to just I feel like a lot of things. stuff I'm really
1: bad and... I enjoy. Like, I'm really bad at jujitsu, but I love it because I can get out of my head and, like, it kind of works muscles, not, like, literally, but things that I don't normally work on. Like, I'm out of my head and breathing. So, yeah. I, 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 loved, your,
2: I, can... I loved your line. Like, you might be mediocre at playing gu- guitar, but you'll be fun at parties. That was a great. You must have
1: gone to like the third page yeah. of
0: Google or something. Yeah, we were going for the deep cuts. I uh, this is a this is an early hit for you. I got to tell you, this is I you know I don't want to say that this is going to be you know this is a, a claim to fame, but this is this isn't really hit for you. Uh, We'ren't going that deep into the deep okay. cuts, but it's a great talk. It should be. Um, and I am, so I'm going to attempt to make a segue from that excellent talk to this terrific paper that you wrote for Consumer oh. Reports. Because you are in that talk, you are really trying to encourage more people to do things. And in this paper, you are really trying to encourage more people to do a specific class of things, namely implement in memory-safe languages. So I, I, I love the, the tone of this paper. But before we get to it, I, I think that the question that is burning for me, Adam, I imagine for you as well, maybe Steve, you know the answer to this, but I, yeah, I'd love to hear this. What is the history of this? How did Consumer Reports uh did, how was this conceived of i loved your
1: last podcast by the way i don't think anybody has raved about anything i've written that much so that was really exciting for me but um i think you had guessed that it was <laughs> isrg but actually i think i was um i think I was reading alex gainer's blog and like the um fish in a barrel mm-hmm. um and just realizing like oh my god this is a really high percentage of bugs and that's alarming and why isn't everybody talking about oh. this um, but also I, um, I've done like my background is investigative reporting and you know, I'm always, whenever there's a Pegasus or something like it, I'm always panicking and I'll find like this time it was, um, uh, a friend of mine, um, uh, who was helping me try to figure out if I had Pegasus on my phone. Cause I had done some investigative stories and I was a little bit worried about it. I think it was Jonathan Rudenberg and I was like, is this on my phone? And this was before it was easier. I think like Trail of Bits came out with an app and like Amnesty International or something. This was like before that had happened where like, you know, like, like, like they really had to talk me through the steps of doing it. And um, I remember like at the end of our conversation, they said, you know, until we figure out memory safety, like we can't really prevent the next Pegasus. And I'm like, wow, like that's alarming. And, you know, I run this, um, I manage Security Planner, which is a digital security tool that helps people figure out how to be safer online without necessarily needing a technical background. And I'm like, there's nothing we can tell people to do. There is no setting that they can click on to prevent this. There's no, um, there's nothing they can buy. Like, it's like, I find that alarming. And then just the intersection that it's had with things that I care about, like, um, you know, journalism, patient safety, human rights activism, et cetera, and, and just consumer safety. I'm like, I don't know, like, um, I, I'm like, and then and then there was like targeting of like Uyghur forms and just the way that it intersected with like every vulnerability that I had heard of and was upset about. And I just kept bugging people and being like, we should really do something about memory safety.
0: That's great. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, I'd, and I would actually like to understand a little bit because Pegasus is something that was, you know, in the kind of the sea of vulnerabilities something I'd heard of, but wasn't really paying close attention to, but it sounds like Pegasus was much closer to home for you. Is that because of your experience as a journalist? Were you worried that you were being explicitly targeted?
1: Possibility. It's something that, I mean, you know, your worst nightmare is like you are working on a story and your source or somebody gets arrested or tortured or imprisoned. Um And like, yeah, right. NSL oh, group wow. was specifically targeting activists like my sources or journalists. And so, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it, I was totally panicking. <laughs>
0: Um, but it was my. Well, and I, yeah, and I think it. I mean, that's interesting because I mean, you, you think in in your line of work, you've got like people's actual physical safety on the line here with a vulnerability. We, you know, we don't always kind of directly connect vulnerabilities to physical safety, but in this case, it's pretty easy yeah. to draw that line.
1: Yeah, I've been pretty which- lucky. I actually, I was, I, <laughs> I was traveling and I got a call from an or a text from an editor. who was like, call me right away, and I was really worried that somebody had been tortured or arrested, but they just like. Wanted me to delete a tweet or something. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, don't like tell me to talk to me immediately without,
0: yeah. Oh God, it's not the worst.
1: <laughs> For a freelance assignment, I was doing. It, I, I know. Please I, don't like make me think there's an emergency without saying, like, I don't consider that an emergency.
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> you know? Brian and I at least both share this kind of anxiety. And so we have a really good working relationship because it's like, never send me a chat that's just like, can we talk? like oh, i'm always I'm always like hey, hey brian don't worry this is not a terrible thing like you know uh but also you know i'd like to like catch up soon about whatever and like vice versa and so yeah
1: set up a meeting without telling me what it's about first i'm like oh no
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Well, you can always tell, I mean, just bluntly, if people have led a team before, because it's the ones that led a team that are especially sensitive to, uh, like, hey, don't worry, it's nothing bad. And I, I do always try to do that because, yeah, it's, it's just easy to be like, hey, can you chat later? It's like, okay, oh, my God, I'm immediately in, in my worst nightmare. I actually had a manager once who was like, hey, um, you, this is on a Friday afternoon. Are you going to be in on Monday? And of course, this is in the era before remote work. So it's like, I have, I'm in on every Monday and I have no, schedule. Skif- I mean, yes, I'm going to be on Monday. I'm like, is there something wrong? It's like, we'll talk about it on Monday. Sleep tight. like
1: 4 is so p.m. On Friday. I scheduled a bunch of emails hey, on that uh, for as Monday goes morning because to- I, um, I wanted to email a bunch of people on Friday and I'm like, I probably shouldn't send this to them on a Friday afternoon before the Super Bowl weekend. So they're panicking all weekend and like freaking out before monday so i'll just schedule it for like monday at
0: 8 a.m or whatever yeah good on you and yes don't th- always give people full contacts when you need to need to chat with them and then if it's a deleting a tweet like maybe <laughs> that, can, that that feels like that's not you. I, it doesn't feel like we need to make you sweat over the physical safety of one of your sources because we want you to delete a tweet that someone someone found to be yeah, a little too yeah, raw
1: weird it was a freelance so, client and it wasn't a tweet about anything that i was writing about but i don't know it was weird but it happened huh.
0: So, because I think that, you know, I part of why I think so many folks found this work so interesting and delightful is that you are, I mean, you've honed in on something that we as practitioners really know well, which is that the choice of language definitely does affect one's ability to, uh, to not have vulnerabilities. I mean, there is very much a correlation and it is an underreported story. I think the, the kind of the folks that are talking about it tend to be more, uh, not t- writing for consumer reports, put it that way. So did you pitch this to consumer reports as something that, that hey, this is something that we should talk about? How did you get consumer reports on board I, with doing PowerPoint.
1: this? <laughs> I PowerPoint, I was like uh, reading, you know, Alex Gainer's blog and like Chris Palmer's blog and the fish in a barrel Twitter and like just talking to people about this. Um, and I made a, I um, wrote a memo and I made a PowerPoint and I was like, we should really um, do something about this. And it wasn't like a traditional uh i'm actually not on the content team anymore so it wasn't like a traditional like consumer reports front page story or magazine piece or anything like that it was more like um um on the um sort of mobilization outreach side and i just kept like bringing it up and um i was like we should really really do something about this and for a while like there weren't i couldn't really answer the question like who else is talking about this with an answer that anybody had heard of but then yeah. it's like everybody started talking about it and I'm like, this is the time. <laughs> um, so I've been talking about it internally for quite a while before we actually um, um, did something about it. And I was like, we should really do a convening because I don't want to like, um, what if we do something that does that like misses the mark? Or what if we focus on something that doesn't really hit, get at the issue? Or what if we like reinvent the wheel? Um, or, and so like there's just that that danger of it. And I'm like, we should get everybody we know who like that we can think of um, in a room and and talk about it. And like figure out like where can how do we fit in and what should we be doing and that kind of thing.
0: And when you say a convening, is that like a consumer reports term? I mean with into what where you deliberately kind of bring yeah, experts we had, in? Yeah,
1: uh, we hosted like um like a two hour meeting, I guess. It was um Chatham House Rules and we like got a facilitator because hmm. I didn't want to facilitate, I wanted to like participate and um Um, I have an amazing manager who like really got on board and, um, yeah. And we just invited everybody. We're like, can you make this date? And like, um, and then we did like a two hour discussion. And so basically the, the report that I put out is kind of a summary of everything that we talked about. I just kind of organized it a little bit. And because it wasn't like capital J journalism, I got to get everybody's feedback who was there on it. And that really helped strengthen it because normally, yeah,
0: that helps a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because it's very again, it's very good. It's very the, 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 technically, it's definitely on point. You're raising a bunch of really good issues. So I mean, uh, you, it was a, it's a methodology Thank that works yeah, really I was, well. I
1: thought it was really cool to get everybody had the chance to give feedback and like point out. And so I tried to in the report point out like this, these are things people disagreed on, or reword it in a way that everybody who, you know, had the chance to give me feedback could kind of live with.
0: Yeah, so I want to get to some of the the, the meat here. Um, the so one thing, it, 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 so you've got a lot of really interesting suggestions. Um, I definitely want to pull at. Uh, I, and Steve, I don't know if you had the same question, but I'm like, what about unsafe rust? Where does uns- Are we going to talk about unsafe rust in this, or are we just going gonna to pretend that we don't have an unsafe keyword? Um, so there's definitely that we got some. I got some questions around that. Um, one of the, you know, part of what I love about the approach here is that you're really advocating for transparency above all else. Is what I feel. I mean, correct me if that's maybe, maybe I'm reading into it, but a little bit what I want to read into it. But um, I love the appeal to public accountability and to to transparency. One of the things that was news to me is that when you you talk about the uh, the common vulnerability and exposures database, CVE database. I did not realize, and I know Rick is here and Rick just kind of rolls, rolls his eyes at me being so naive for, for not having realized this, I did not realize that that is like 100% opt-in and there is no requirement, regulatory or like social contract or otherwise, that companies actually participate in the CVE process. And one thing that is just galling is there is no way for the consumer to know who is participating in CVEs and who isn't. Is that a problem that you've run across? Did you run across it in this work? I mean, is that because it's, I mean, as you point out, we really, part of the way we can get going on this problem is by really understanding which CVEs are due to, or or would be less likely to occur in a memory safe language. But of course that means that we've got to actually like adhere to the CVE
1: process. Like one of the things that came up was that people said that they couldn't distinguish Vulnerability, like even when there it was in the uh, even if it was classified, they couldn't necessarily distinguish there wasn't enough details to know, like, oh, this is a memory vulnerability or this is a logic bug. And I'm like, that's bad. Like, <laughs> I think it would be better if we, like, how do we measure this if we um, the metrics we have, like, we only know them for certain parts of the industry. So, how do we even have like broad statistics on which vulnerabilities are due to memory? And safety and I, I don't know if people are like i was actually kind of surprised that we have as many as we do because i feel like people wouldn't really be incentivized to share that if they're not planning on addressing it
3: it's con there's a lot of flaws in the yeah, system and, I, and that yeah. is definitely uh one of many parts of it
1: <laughs> yeah i have a, it's so funny i have a textbook i forget what it was for it was for some certification but i just got the book because i thought it was interesting I looked stuff up in it i think it was like sec plus and I, like, started reading it, and this is a problem I have when I read textbooks since, like, high school. I'm like, the way that they talk about this, these systems is very different from anybody in the industry and in how they talk about it. So it's like you're almost, like, learning this sort of sanitized mm. version of things that, like, in reality, everybody, or not everybody, but there's, like, vast kind of controversy around or disagreement with. Yeah, as
0: as you remember Larry McVoy's quote on that, Adam, where in school you always assume a frictionless surface, and then when you actually go to build things, all you work on is the friction. Uh, I feel like there's maybe an analog yeah, seems,
2: there. Seems spot on, just, I mean, in terms of how gritty things get in the real world. Um, and yeah, one of the things I was thinking about reading your piece was how um, some of the benefits of memory safety, I think, can be... Uh, can feel abstract, especially for folks in university or learning or early in their careers, and then feel indelible and painful to people, you know, with more experience or later in their careers. But then, you know, you, you speak to this point. Um, it can be hard to kind of get off of that train and hard to to sell the benefits of of changing tax or or uh, you know uh, accepting the risk because there's there's not zero risk of you know, making such a significant change.
1: Yeah, I wonder if I was kind of more. It was easier for me to kind of came, come to the conclusions that I have because I wasn't attached to these languages. Because I have <laughs> friends that are very attached to these languages, mm. and I was thinking about that when I was rewatching the again uh, Alex Gaynor's talk on memory safety and the stages of grief. I'm like, oh, I never had these because I never was attached to C++, <laughs> C++. So
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, I think the answer to your kind of I, I, maybe perhaps rhetorical question, but is I think absolutely, yes, it is easier for you to, uh, to, to kind of because you're also taking the perspective of the consumer and it's like, well, no, wait a minute, why are we even debating this? Like, of course we should have seat belts. It's like, no, 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 but some of us like haven't had seat belts for their entire career and they are they're really good drivers. It's like, and they, they know they're not going to get in an accident. You're like, yeah. <laughs> like, Do you hear yourself? Sense
1: finds it really enjoyable to code in C++. Like he was telling me like how much he enjoys it. And I'm like, I hope I don't like ruin his life or whatever. But I mean, ultimately, I think just a friend you, of mine who said a that? developer. And I'm like, ultimately, I feel like what, like these issues are more important.
0: You, you know, the only person I've heard express that sentiment is Adam's teenager. And we have viewed that Adam as teenage rebellion. We view that as like, you know that he's going to up. I mean, it, clearly Adam. it's somewhere
2: yeah. between teenage rebellion and poor parenting and uh, maybe, it, maybe equal parts. <laughs>
3: I, I want to make a very dry joke about, like, the thing about behaviors that harm communities is that it's fine if you do them, but your work doesn't impact other people. Uh, so if your friend is writing C++ in the safety of their own home and then not distributing their code to anybody else, they can enjoy programming in C++ as much as they would like, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Um the, the- just wants yeah. to make sure he doesn't rather say it. rather, rather do it at home than in some so who know, knows God it. knows who <laughs> where with
3: friends of yours. <laughs> that's, that's... Absolutely, got some dirty alley. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just, rather do it exactly. Do. I just want to know water.
2: where he is when he's doing it. That's all. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's it. Yeah, I it, it, that is not a sentiment that I think makes sense at some level. Just because the or rather, it represents youth more than anything else. I. You don't need to disclose how young your developer friend is, but uh, I think it is. There is a uh, is natural for youth to go through a period of just loving complexity almost for its own sake, and then there's actually kind of the pivot that you're kind of referring to, Adam, where you get these uh, these scars that develop. You realize, like, wait a minute, the complexity actually is the enemy, and we actually need to get rid of anything that is making this system more complicated and less comprehensible, and C++ is definitely So in
3: that I, I do think that Yael's you know, getting into something, though, or maybe, maybe not, again, maybe reading into words slightly, but, like, one of the things that I hear from that sentiment, which I think is a big problem in this, is, like, uh, you do have to convince people that, like, say, seatbelts are necessary and good. And there are some people who like not having them, and no. I don't know if being, like, sorry you know you can't do that anymore or whatever is like the most effective rhetorical strategy for actually accomplishing the change that's desired to be brought about because like your friend is definitely not the only one like as much as we would joke about it like because i because i'm me this will yes, not be shocking not to anybody me. but i have a right. C R C plus plus tab open right now where i'm reading and like there's people there's this person okay. arguing that like C++ is basically Python, and he can write C++ as easily as Python, and so, like, you know, whatever, et cetera. And, like, oh. those are arguments to out all the time. There's a lot of people on the internet. A lot oh. of people like different things. And so it is true that if, like, we want to make this change, the, like, one of the... I don't think this is specific to the, like, to the Consumer Reports paper, which I think is very good, but I think there's this, like, weird... There was a comment the other day on the C++ subreddit, someone was like, you can smell the fear around here these days. And people did not take that very well. But like...
0: <laughs> was I that comment obviously by did, you or one I, of your
3: I don't. Well, actually I do technically have an all. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that you <laughs> don't wanna get distracted. The, the important part is that like, uh, you know, we gotta like, we gotta like figure out how to like make that change occur. Uh, even though there's going to be people like, and and they're feeling a lot of the sentiment that I see right now in the C++ community is feeling attacked and like under siege and therefore entrenching. Yeah. And that's like not actually the yeah, way that I would want to see this move forward. And so, you know, I'll joke about, you know, your friend shouldn't program in C++ at all or whatever, but like, I don't actually believe that. That's just like a funny way of putting that sentiment. Um, but I also think that sometimes you make these jokes or we, like, there are some people who are a little more hardline about it. There are kind of like serious about doing that specifically in like all circumstance. And I'm not sure that's gonna like get us to the memory safe world faster or not. I'm not sure. But it's
0: like a thing I've been thinking about lately. So, yeah. So, so and, and this actually gets to a question that I, I had for you because you talk about public accountability, very important. But I will tell you that for, for my own personal journey, uh, one thing that was very important for me personally was actually private accountability. In that, a big wake-up for me – and you know, not that I you – know, I appreciated that C was dangerous um, and discarding C++ for the moment because I, I, was a, I was and have been a C++ conscientious objector. But I, was, I, I appreciated that C was dangerous, but I also felt like I can navigate it. And the wake-up call for me, the indisputable wake-up call, was a vulnerability in code that I had written, that I had thought a lot about. And the vulnerability was actually, and Steve, this is where you, when I talk about like integer safety in Rust, this is one of the things we don't talk about enough in Rust is the integer safety, because it is, when people think about memory safety, they are often thinking about like, oh, well, like I'm dereferencing pointers. It's like, well, it's actually more than that. It's you have got indices that you are using to index into memory. And if those are going to be in any way untrusted and then malicious, uh, it is actually really hard to write that code correctly and uh lint won't necessarily help you and i was shocked at the fact that i had this uh that I, I i effectively had an indexing error that lint was silent about and that was a wake-up call for me certainly and so yeah what do you think about like connecting engineers and it's like you wanted it's like oh, well, yeah i'm like blameless postmortems and hug ops and so on. But it's like also, hey, you should know that 15 years ago, you wrote this code that you thought was correct that introduced this really serious vulnerability because it's actually, in fact,
1: mm-hmm. you know, correct. For some reason, this line of questioning reminds me of that blog post that just came out, the unsafe language doom principle. Yeah, um, you're not wrong. Like, <laughs> it's like, um, you know, even if you do this perfectly, here's what could happen. Um, yeah, I don't know how... Like, for my end, I don't know who, like, I don't know the individual names and faces responsible for um, types of vulnerabilities, but I, I kind of think that it's more companies that should, I, I don't know, I think it's more companies that, but yeah, that's a really good question, because it's like, how do you hold well, people yeah. accountable without them kind of doubling down and getting mad, you know? Well, I, and,
0: and I don't want to, like, put software engineers, I don't want to, like, public, I don't want to persecute software yeah. engineers, I just want to be, like, Hey, by the way, you should know. Like, we're not going to put you in jail. We're not going to. We're not even going to hold you financially responsible for all this damage that you caused. But like, maybe you should stop arguing about defending C++. I I know your uh, terrible secrets. You know what I mean? (laughs)
3: I'll tell your mother you've been (laughs) writing C++.
1: I'm one of those people who reads like every single response to my articles on like Reddit and Twitter and etc. Like, probably too much. But yeah, no, I've been reading there. I think they were like most upset that I didn't just differentiate between c and c plus um
3: that, that was a bunch of it yeah
1: and then somebody accused me of posting a link twice even though i had never posted in that form <laughs>
0: but, posted I mean, a link twice. Yeah. oh how dare the you golf. that the is c++. just i i, uh, <laughs> I the doll and
1: i didn't i'm like um, really i shouldn't chime in and be like no i didn't you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, I think you should try in. No, no, no. I actually, so, okay, by the way, I often, I mean, Steve, you know that this is my approach to these things. Whenever you've got a discussion that's getting hot, I think it always helps for you yourself to appear. It really helps to, I think, humanize it. Be like, hey, actually, that asshole yeah. you're talking about is right here. It's me. I posted really the link twice.
1: With, well, actually, I didn't and, post the link twice, just so, <laughs> I didn't even post it. But, for um, the record, just yeah, to clarify. I've, I've had really good discussions with people who, like, it started out by them yelling at me on Twitter for something they thought I did wrong and we get on the phone and like end up agreeing on like 90% of things. And I always find it really helpful though. I'm always like very nervous before I get on the phone, (laughs) but uh, yeah, no, I think that I don't, but it's hard to talk to people. I don't I read a book called, um, mistakes were made, but not by me about all the ways that people trick themselves into thinking that Mm. they didn't actually, um, mess up like they, everybody else (laughs) <laughs> responsible um it, yeah it's kind of interesting like i don't know how people would respond to that because i feel like um people don't like to be like most of my you know broken friendships have been for me like pointing out something somebody did in what i thought was like a polite and non-confrontational way <laughs> and, like they just don't want to they don't want to have that kind of discussion so
0: yeah key is that i want to avoid one of the things one of the things i, um, the things I love you know about this
2: mean? piece is i think that one of the ways to avoid shame is to is to is to kind of fill in the other side of it you know brian we talk a bunch of, about the intrinsic motivation of engineers and or even the communal uh, motivation of engineers but yeah yeah your your piece talks about the other side of it about the consumer side of it you know, making analogies with the jungle or with uh, Nader's book "Unsafe at Any Speed." I, I love the idea of like nutrition labels. So, you know, maybe creating um, you know more awareness and, and more kind of desire in the in the public at large then makes it easier for practitioners to sort of get on board and 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 to bend because it's not just sort of admitting some failing or whatever, but it's it's more of a migration both on both sides of it
1: it's interesting i do feel like i'm more open to like if i don't feel like people are yelling at me if they're like oh you you worded this in a certain way which i think could be harmful because of x y and z we don't say dark patterns anymore we say deceptive design i'm like oh of course i will stop saying that but of course like i don't have a lot of um i'm not attached to those terms, the way that some people are attached to the way that they have been doing things. So I don't know, this is interesting, like theory of change uh, discussion. Like, I don't know if I'm great at it, but I think about it a lot.
0: Well, I mean, just by that, it helps you be much better at it, right? Just the the, the, kind of the consciousness of it. Um, One point that you Real quick before we transition to the next thing, I want to say a
3: great example of can, can making this message connect and then having it actually have the change is a previous employer of mine cloudflare which is basically when Cloudbleed happened that was due to a memory safety unsafety you know situation and uh you know that was like treated as a existential level threat to the business uh and then you know basically boil like ended up in a like you start new projects, you need sign off from the CTO. I don't think that was ever an actual real policy, but like it felt that way, or that was kind of like the the general attitude was like, please do not use a memory unsafe language unless you absolutely must. And, you know, now we see them deploying Rust and Go and other memory safe languages at scale, doing systems tasks that we would have previously only did in C and C++. And that, uh you know, by, uh, you know them understanding as organization that like this is a threat caused the change that made that happen and so I don't know how many other organizations are you know willing to make those connections and like have management buy-in and all that stuff but just to like put down one positive case I've seen of that actually happening in a way that's like not shaming anyone individually like like they you know never said which engineer wrote that bug and like I worked there and I'd accessed all the internal stuff much later of course but like I never heard who wrote it because like that's not the point right Um, And so I thought that was a good example of of that kind of change happening.
1: That's great. Yeah. And I really hope that that people who are making the argument internally can use this. And it's not the only paper, there's a lot of momentum happening. So this isn't the only thing that they can use, but I do hope it helps them make that argument. Because I feel like even just a year ago, people were like, companies will never do this. It's expensive and hard. And I'm like, companies can do expensive and difficult things. Like, What if they see it as um this will help us stay competitive like we can actually stand behind our promises around you know privacy security whatever it is um and then and then all the other benefits too yeah. like uh, stability and speed and, and etc
2: that's right it's only expensive on oh, one I accounting right it, it it's expensive through one lens but to yeah. your point you you know if you take the fully burdened cost of what's it cost to maintain and own and fix and apologize and uh, you know, pay for recalls or whatever, then is it expensive? Or then does it, is it a push? Or then are we actually saving money?
3: So Adam, I'm extremely proud of this joke. Yeah. But are you suggesting there needs to be a total cost of ownership uh, analysis?
0: Oh, my god. Oh, wow.
3: why? Feel free to why? edit that why? out why? before you
0: publish the actual podcast. Not, not a chance. That's <laughs> going to go right <laughs> on the ten. No, no, you no, know, no, 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 actually, no, as a punishment for that, we are not going to edit it out, actually. We refuse Excellent. to edit it out, actually. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, well, so it actually reminds me of, and, and Stephen, I don't know if you, you had the same same thought about this. And, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you're – uh, folks of my vintage, I mean, I grew up actually with operating systems that lacked memory protection. And there it does seem to be a bit of an analog in that when I was growing up when you got the two operating system choices, namely Windows and Mac OS. neither of them employed memory protection, even though it was present in the microprocessor. And as a result, I mean, it was very bad for the consumer. And you would lose work all the time. Your machine would just reset. And it really was awful. And when reading this, I was kind of thinking like, wait a minute, where was Consumer Reports? Consumer Reports should have been, because it wasn't. I don't think there was any real public agency taking this kind of duopoly to task and saying hey this is neglect this is uh, th- th- this is malpractice in that you are you got this this capacity to actually isolate these things from one another using the microprocessor and you're not doing it and ultimately and we, we don't live in that era anymore and we got out of it in part because the 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 competition stepped it up and they both ultimately both, Microsoft and Apple, and then of course Linux and Unix and so on, which was always memory protected, uh, adopted memory protection. And the consumer is much, much, much better for it. So I, I I think it is great that you're using consumer reports as a vehicle to the point that it has me I, like demanding, like where, wh- wh- like my, my youth was robbed by Bill Gates because consumer reports wasn't calling him out on it.
1: I can speak back that far, but we do much. like consumer reports has done a lot of, like we have digital standard. Like there's a lot of stuff that consumer reports has done um, on the, I think people don't know about to like raise the standard for um, connected devices and like evaluate consumer technologies and how they respect people's interests and need based on like privacy, security, ownership, etc. And so like there has been work and, and I don't know, I did a whole thing on VPNs, but I don't I think it's like um, all of the work that I've done that I like, I don't it's always a little awkward because most of the stuff I decide to kind of like the threads I follow is because I talk to a lot of people. Um, who told me things and most of them don't want their name used or like, like it's like their employer might get mad or they just want to have like on background or off the record conversations. But it's like there, I feel like there's a huge, like if you just take what technologists say and talk about and like adapt that for a consumer audience, like there's so there's a lot there, you know?
0: What, there is a lot there and it's, it's, it's underreported. So we're glad you're taking it. What's the,
2: what's been the reaction from the like non-tech community? Like I can, I, you know, I've seen in, in my communities how people have responded, but what have you gotten from people who maybe didn't really have any awareness of this topic at all?
1: I guess I haven't heard from people who've never thought about it, but there are people who I've brought it up to who like maybe weren't as interested. And then they were like, "Oh my god! Like, like we should be listening to this. This has gotten a lot of play, and like, you know, NSA is talking about it now. Like, this is talking about it. This was like mentioned in the Washington Post, and so like suddenly they're kind of getting more interested, which is really really cool. Um, and uh, but yeah, no, I haven't heard from people who were like, who hadn't heard about it at all. Like that hasn't happened to me yet.
0: It, and what, so, what are some of the specific thoughts? Because you got a bunch of like uh, uh, of Concrete recommendations in here. Um, and I, to, to you know, Adam mentioned earlier, like, and you, you mentioned the nutrition label. I love the nutrition label idea. It does get really complicated in a hurry. How do we navigate that? For ex- most systems, even actually like Rust systems, are actually a hybrid of. Safe and unsafe code so how would we express that either whether it's a kind of a nutrition label or regulatory compliance do you kind of thoughts on on how we would navigate that yeah
1: i think that that's going to be really challenging i think i tried to point out like a lot of the challenges in the um report because i feel like there's ways that you can compare like like there's just certain things you can't really compare um they're really easy to to game um and like i think that there's like the there's just such a fine line between something that would actually create change and something that would just look good on paper. Like if we told people like, Oh, we want you to totally, if we told companies like, we want you to have a certain percentage of your code converted to memory safe language, they would just prioritize based on what's easiest. And we want them to prioritize based on risks. And so like, um, yeah, I think this is going to be like a tough needle to thread. And I guess that's something I learned too, when I was looking at, um, VPN, my last big report was on VPNs and I'm like, um, It's really hard. Like, there's ways that people can sort of game any metrics that you've set and make it look like they're making change. But when you actually look at the impact on the end user, like, there isn't any (laughs) or or there's like very little. Um, And so, um, yeah, I think that's going to be, that's where I kind of lean on all the experts that I talk to because I feel like um, that's the difference between us coming up with some kind of metric that doesn't make any sense. Um I and I read a book. Um I read this really amazing book called The Tyranny of Metrics. <laughs> it's such a good book. Even though I think they were a little bit The Tyranny, Tyranny of what Metrics.
0: Ah. Uh, oh, my of God, metrics, yeah, interesting. Book. Even though yeah. I think the
1: guy who wrote it is against um public records, which I disagree strongly about. But um
0: Well, based yeah, on yeah, his, metrics, his he's metrics, metrics, he's got metrics to show sure. No, I'm just
1: no right. he just talks about like ways you can set metrics and then like do well in the metrics not even intentionally
0: he's against public records sorry i'm still processing that what how are you against public oh, records what does that even mean you think so, like, um, certain
1: information should be um like private and that it undermines public good when you make too many oh. requests because it uh stops people from talking publicly about certain things like i don't I, I, and maybe there's a point there but there's like a great i think it
3: Uh Yeah, yeah, like I guess the way I would think when I hear that, like what I think of, I'm not sure if this counts as a public record, but as an example um, of something like this, uh, you know, a lot of my friends being trans have had to deal with legally changing their name. And due to the way that that works, you know, it's by state, but usually you have to like go to your courthouse. And part of that is also like taking out an ad in the paper being like, I'm changing my name from X to Y, because it's like determined it's important. That's part of like the public record. But like in that specific case, it also like forces people to, you know, Give private information out to literally everybody, and they may not want to for whatever reason. And, like, you know, you can yeah. make arguments for and against all that, but I guess that's just that's what I would imagine is that he probably has some sort of criticism yeah, yeah, yeah. along those lines.
1: Um, um, Yeah, but it was about like public records requests from like government entities, yeah. which I've, I don't know. I, I feel like that, that should be more transparent. Um, I'm but yeah, no, he was talking about yeah. things like, well, like, say you create patient scorecards to rank physicians, and some physicians treat higher risk patients. So, therefore, the number that comes up for them is lower because their patients have worse outcomes because they were worse coming in. I don't know. Or like anybody who's ever worked in public education. <laughs> like, like it's like um, sometimes yeah. the metrics don't measure what you think they do. Um, so yeah, that's oh, that the, amazing. Yeah. No, the
0: metrics are, I mean, ask any zugor about their OKRs. Right. I mean, the metrics are terrible. Um, and they, there's definitely, I'm, and I'm, Excited to that. The tyranny of metrics looks great. I think that, um, have you ever heard of, of, uh, principles based accounting versus rules based accounting? My, my late father in law was a professor of, account, of accounting in Australia and he, uh, would, would like to go on some delightful anti American rants. Um, a first among them was our adherence to rules based accounting. So in the US we have rules based accounting which is like there are a bunch of rules and so a really good CFO knows how to get around all the rules uh they're really they and that's not wrong that's not considered to be that's not a crime that's that it's rule these are the rules and so you're not actually cheating if you abide by the rules there's no spirit to abide by and in principles based accounting there are principles and you, it, it is not based on rules so You can't cheat the principles. And I kind of feel like for this, we would need something that is principles based, not rules based, because it's just too easy. As you say, it is way too easy to game. And also, like, we don't want to, like, software engineers as a group are, you know, pretty bright, curious, motivated people. We don't want to take all of that energy and apply it to how to game a bunch of rules because they will definitely do it um we've got i think we're we're gonna have to go to something that's principles based i don't know what, what do you think amazing. about all yeah
1: that? no i i definitely hear people complain about like compliance-based rules all the time like people in healthcare um and it's like cool you checked off all these boxes but did it really actually create meaningful change like i don't think that boxes are always bad like um some of them can be meaningful like um for example one of the things in the digital standard is like um do you agree to not sue people who like give like file Tell you about your bugs or vulnerability, like disclosure, like like there's sometimes it does make sense, but other times it it really doesn't. Um. So yeah, no, I like the idea of a principles based approach. I think one of the issues though is that like, what if? Well, this came up for me in VPNs because I'm like, okay, if we, if I wanted like the ideal VPN, like my principles for what I want, like nobody will do. Like nobody is going to make their like client side and server side code open source, which is like. (laughs) my principles that it should all be you know open source and and auditable and like nobody's going to do that (laughs) so it's like when I I don't know that's kind of the extreme idealistic version of it is and I'm like oh yeah everybody should do x y and z and therefore I can't recommend anything which is kind of where we're at right now um for many things in memory safety (laughs) like like I can't recommend any of these you know um and so like Ultimately, it's like creating that change. But yeah, how do you, I think that's what a lot of the people in the convening talked about is like, how do you create incremental change that actually moves the needle instead of just um, people saying they're going to do certain things and like not actually, it doesn't actually have impact. They're just checking off a box to get you off their back or like, we wrote a blog post about memory safety, but didn't change anything. So therefore, like, we, we can check off our box and as a company that cares about this issue. Well,
0: I really like your call on companies to be more transparent about the causes of bugs. I think that is, uh, I mean, I, I would like to, uh, I think it, it, we've got to have some way of making clear those companies that are refusing to participate in CVEs. I don't know how to do that exactly. And I know that there are a lot of problems, I mean, problems as Steve, as you alluded to with, with CVEs, but I do feel that like getting the information about where bugs are coming from is a really important start. You know, an easy way to do that is open source and I I mean I'm I as folks know I we very very pro open source I believe that open source yield I mean it feels like this like why am I pretending like this is a controversial opinion in 2023 but I think it like this kind of has become a controversial opinion like yeah I mean see see the
2: uh, episode we did with Stephen O'Grady a while back um where there's sort of uh people pulling the football uh you know out from under us in terms of um open source and then you've also, I mean, not to speak to you know, not to turn this into a therapy session, but you've been living in a world, um, and the embedded world has lots of proprietary software, and the and you know, as we go deeper down the hardware, it feels yes. like more and more proprietary software, uh, as opposed to us floating up on the surface.
0: Yeah, and I do feel, and you call out IoT in here, yeah, but I do feel that a domain that desperately needs the the uh, open source and memory safety and memory protection that kind of I I view that that to be the the triad of yielding the best safest possible artifacts are are you, where you've got a, a memory safe language and it's open source and you've got memory protection which definitely should I mean I as I mentioned like that was wasn't that resolved in the 80s what well, was resolved in the 80s and 90s and 2000s For personal computing, for server-side computing, it is definitely not the -the state-of-the-art, sadly, for embedded development, for IoT and for other embedded devices. It's actually very unusual to have memory protection. So I think you need those kind of – and I would love to have a way of at least can we evaluate – can we encourage that triad? Do we have some way of looking at some of these things, whether they're devices or products or what have you, and just having an idea of where they score on these three things, and now I like, I keep like, I'm deriding metrics, and I, I just, I can't no, help. We're a publication We're have that scored products.
1: <laughs> we, have, we do have an additional standard exactly. in the governance section. There is uh, an open source category that says like, we want to know if the product source code is publicly available and reusable, and like, um, is it, you know, under a license approved and listed by the Open Source Initiative? Like, um, what type of open source license is it? Um. But I don't know if they have actually used that for, I would have to check with that team. I don't know if that's been actually used for testing. But um, it's definitely one of the things I look for when we make VPN recommendations. I'm like, is this open source? It's one of the things I look for. So so this is another kind of problem I think that things can get difficult with any kind of evaluation is that, like, um, how do you how do you rank things, like, how do you weight them, like, is this more important than, like, what's more, how do you, like, hold them against each other, like, open versus transparent, or um, governance, like, um, versus ownership, etc., and it it's kind of a hard problem, especially when you're comparing things that aren't exactly like, you can't really compare apples to apples in that situation. So, yeah, these are, like, open questions. Like, I feel like a lot of people are kind of talking about it and trying to figure it out, but it might be a while before, <laughs> like, it really makes sense.
3: But I I definitely, like, yeah. agree with all this, but I also want to slightly chase down a small thread that was said earlier that I think, you know, like, why does this feel controversial right now? I think kind of what's interesting, I think I first heard Patrick Walton make this argument, but like, if you look at like the past 20, 30 years, like memory safety has been winning. Like you go back to the eighties, like everything was written in memory on safe code, but like by now, you know, almost everything is by default written in something that is memory safe. So part of the reason why this is so contentious and so difficult is that like, this isn't the like start of a battle exactly. This is like finishing the war. This is like capturing the enemy's headquarters stage of the conflict. I don't know. I've been playing too much Call, call of Duty. I don't know why. i like, would like to
0: reiterate that he honors that anyone exactly. who wants to write C That when he says that this is raiding the compound yes, that has the C that dead enders, he's speaking strictly metaphorically. No, but it's like it is,
3: I, and I think that that contributes to this like sense of like why this is high stakes and like why people have lots of feelings is because like the scope of where memory unsafe languages have been has just solely been shrinking. And, like, there was sort of this island of, like, well, sometimes you need to use it because you have to because of hardware. And now we're starting to see languages like Rust and other things that are demonstrating that that's not actually, like, a law of physics. That's just, like, an accident of history. And so now that, like, little island that they've been able to live on is is under threat. And I totally get why people feel sensitive about that. But I think that's also, like, a a good a good reminder is that like history yeah. is already on the side of memory safety is good and we should do more of it as much as
0: possible. Um, totally. I mean, there's almost something Lindy about it, right? Where the, if you are writing in a memory unsafe language today in 2023, you are almost tautologically at a layer of the stack in which performance yeah. is really important.
3: And I also just like a lot of privacy the, and security the, there, stuff like that, you know, too, like tends to be in these languages still and that's why it's important. Sorry, yeah.
1: Oh no, you're fine. I just keep going back to the number. I'm like 60 to 70 percent of browser and kernel vulnerability Like that's ridiculous. Like if somebody told you 60 to 70 percent of injuries are caused by X, wouldn't you like immediately like I make changes in my life. I made a joke about this when I was on the Enigma panel um, on memory safety, and I was like, I don't take a bath when it's lightning out. (laughs) (laughs) Like like, I make changes based on risk, and this like.
0: Is that that's is that actually true? Do you, do you live in a lightning? You live in Arizona, yeah, right? there's, there's a lot time, of lightning we in Arizona. Soon. It's not, it's not a lot like, of oh, them, you.
1: but yeah, we get.
0: No, I know, but just like I'm just talking about like I'm just I'm admiring the. Fa- I mean, I'm not sure if you're speaking no, literally. I'm like very
1: literal. Like I will literally take get out of a shower or bath during a thunderstorm, um, because I know that plumbing and other metal can be an electric current conduit, and even though the chance of that happening is very small. It still like changes my behavior. So then, if somebody told me sixty to seventy percent of deaths are caused by lightning or thunder or whatever, like I would definitely. Um, I don't know. I feel uh, like you make changes to your behavior based on smaller risks. So that yeah, number just so you do. back to me, and that's why I kept kind of pulling on this thread. I'm like, I'm like, this is a lot of vulnerabilities. That's a very high percentage, you know.
0: I would love to know how. The average or median age of code that has a vulnerability, because I think the other challenges, a lot of that code is not new. It is at this layer of the stack. I mean, I don't know. Maybe so. I, I, the, I, I'm, Android, you know, the Android,
3: the Android memory safety article had this statistic in it. Oh, but interesting. for, for Android, and, and they were saying that. I think it's like actually the opposite. like newer code tends to have the most problems. I'm trying to find this exactly. Oh, but that's only well, that one was like one thing, you know, like
0: one time. Um, but yeah. To a degree, that's great, because, yeah, the newer the code is, the more I think you can make that argument of like, stop doing this, because I think that it's more challenging when you've inherited a code base that it's like, yeah, I didn't write OpenSSL. I didn't, you know, I have linked to it and it's not it's something that was written a long time ago and reflects that and it's been evolved ever right, since. Right. So it ends up- and
1: that code base is just gonna get bigger, right? So why not? <laughs> um but I do think that you the you can um ship at least like if you want to ship a component in existing an existing project in memory safe language, I think that would be valuable because you could like companies would kind of overcome that initial infrastructure investment. So, yeah, you have to well, have a long term
0: yeah, think thinking. Like, unfortunately, argument. you
3: know, quarterly reports
0: and stuff. Um, no, you got to be willing to be mediocre about memory safety to get back to your mediocrity uh, talk. Yeah, uh, I'm actually serious, right? You got a great be... point, Brian.
2: Is there, just dip a toe
0: in, right? Just go for it, right? It doesn't need to be.
2: You don't need to be an expert on it. You can even getting rid of one bug is enough bugs to get rid of
1: there's like
0: a right yeah if like if you if you garden you'll be able to cook yourself you'll be able to grow food that you can eat and i think if you write in every safe languages you will avoid one defect that you would have had otherwise
1: i hope that the and i don't know about this cuz i'm not actually writing code but i hope that the community would like you know be welcoming and help people who are working on learning how to do this better um instead of like gatekeeping like i i guess i just don't know enough but like I would hope that that's not a factor and I don't know if there's anything like how do you connect people that need help it's, so that they can
0: I think it's really important and, and I think no one has been more on the forefront of this than Steve. It is very important to be welcoming. Um I think even despite best efforts, uh, languages are often it can be inadvertently unwelcoming. Um and you know, Steve, you you've been on a on a yeah. many many year mission to make rust <laughs> as well yeah, as perfect. Possible.
3: we got lots of problems too but it's still better than anything else as far as i'm concerned
0: um well, and i do think steve one thing that one thing that you have and maybe i'm just like too inside this and can't see it but it feels to me adam i'd love to get your take on this it feels to me you know a couple of years ago there was this idea that like rust had this almost haskell like aura of impenetrability and I feel like, this idea like, oh, Rust is really difficult to learn. Like Once you learn it, it's amazing. But boy, it's really just crushing to learn. And I kind of feel like that has faded. And I don't think it's only because I have learned it since then. I, yeah.
2: I think been, let, let me give you an anecdote as a tipping point indicator. Uh, I was at a Super Bowl party yesterday, as one does. Uh, someone was asking what my son was into, and I, and I muttered C++. And this person I'd never met before said, "You know what? He should check out instead of C plus is Rust." So I feel like it takes a village, Adam. <laughs> it takes a village.
0: Everyone's. Practicing. I just feel
2: like there's a, there's a certain like hurdle you have to get through where kind of that's folks big... you're just meeting at Super Bowl parties are are spreading the good news.
3: He wasn't even at my it's... Super
0: Bowl party. That yeah, person wasn't even a... me.
3: So that's awesome. <laughs>
1: It, it was one of <laughs> Steve Waltz
0: that it wasn't
3: active. I hired someone to go to Adam's party specifically.
1: <laughs> I do still hear people complain that Rust is hard to learn. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> for
0: sure. And I think that you... It, no, it is. And I think that... I mean, you also have this... There's another challenge with Rust. And, and I, I'd i love to get... in Steve, your take on this as well. I think when we think about Rust pedagogically... I think just as we still teach assembly to undergraduates, I think we have to teach them at some level what memory is and how to be unsafe with it before we can be safe with it. And as the, as the parent of teenagers, this whole line of thinking makes me very nervous, by the way, because, but the I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm being too traditionalist. Maybe you can't just go straight to Russ. It just feels like it's a very tough first programming language or OI programming language. All, there are other memory safe languages that are, are I think going to be easier for those first languages. My think,
3: headphones, headphones died and I missed I just... like half of the last sentence of what you said, but I think that maybe I got it, which is like, is it easier to learn Rust when you don't know other languages first or not? Is that where you were going with that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is, how is, is Rust so, practical as kind of a first Okay. So the answer language? is
3: yes, but with a giant asterisk after <laughs> it. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I used to, like, teach Ruby and Rails to both literal children and adults who had never programmed before. Um, a lot of my earlier career was teaching programming, like, pretty expressly, uh, and, like, so so many people are, like, um, you know, and also my partner Ashley had, had done this as well, uh, and, like, she would say that her students, who were, like, high schoolers, like people would say, oh, you should be teaching them JavaScript because it's like easier because there's no types. And she's like, they they want types. They like think in types already. Like the idea that there's like a kind of a it thing- His needs structure. The, the idea is... that like there's a kind of a thing and you yeah. don't know what it is, is like weird totally. basically. And so I think that there's like a lot of people, mm. like a lot of programmers don't appreciate the degree to which knowing how to program has like warped their understanding of what it's not like to know how to program. And their estimation of what is difficult versus what is easy is wrong because what's difficult or easy for someone who's been programming for 10 years is not the same as someone who's brand new. Um, I think types is a great example. I don't think yeah, that, that every type is system right. is equivalent. That's a whole big giant can of worms, obviously. But to get back to like the, what I said specifically, like the giant asterisk on Rust. So there's not a lot of good materials for learning Rust as your first programming language right now. And so that's like one example where I think it's just not the case. Like there's no book that's like teach programming via Rust. Um, some people try to say that my book is that I disagree with them. Um, we like assume that, you know, how to write code and text in an editor and compile it and like run it and stuff. Or we show you how, but like, we don't explain, you know, okay, to do a programming, you need to open a text editor and edit a file and then, you know, run it through like all that stuff. Like, has to be taught, right?
0: Yeah, right. And All so the there's, there's no resource is, right, that, that does taught, that right.
3: with Rust specifically. I do think that for a particularly kind of motivated student with a certain kind of uh, mentality, temperament, or something, like, the you can. And, like, I know there are people who have learned Rust as a first language, um, and I know some people that have, like, helped supplement that lack of express resources by like just teaching them or like answering questions or like helping out. And they've generally said that they have found that those people have learned Rust relatively easily because they just like don't know any different. And so the idea of these rules that are so weird that mess up your existing designs, like people don't have those existing designs. So they just learn how to write code that works with the compilers that are against it from the start. And so it ends up wait, being like,
0: I, oh, Sorry. What is a doubly yeah. linked list? Right, exactly. they yeah, don't they're, even know what that they're is. Not, they're oh not oh evaluating the you programming said, language oh
3: based oh on God. whether or not they can write a linked list because they don't even know what that yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly.
2: you can be like, how could a doubly linked list even exist? What are you talking about?
3: Oh, cool. like, what, what is it, is it even like? A walk a me through it? it. Yeah, so that's basically like the, what I would say about like learning Rust as a, as a beginner or like as a new programmer is like if you really want to, I think you can do it. I don't think it's something I would like recommend to the average newbie who's learning to program today, but I don't think that means it's impossible for the future.
1: Oh, there should be a Rust version of a to out myself as someone learning Python. Um, uh, I'm doing the Georgia Tech, um, the David Joyner class online on introduction. It's actually like about fundamentals of computer science, and they said they wanted to um, add other languages. Nice. Um, Yeah, and so to give somebody random extra work. It would be so cool if this also had Rust. I mean, I don't know. It's pretty good. It's a really good program. Yeah, it's, I mean. I feel like I've gotten further than I have in this one online program than all my other past attempts.
0: Well, that's great. First of all, that's great. Good on you and terrific. And it does feel, I mean, in part because Rust, in part because of just its its relatively young age, it does have fewer historical kind of warts that are hard to explain. It's like, no, no, sorry, you just have to do this. Like, We'll explain it in a hobble paper a while from now. Don't worry about it. Just just do it. Um, it, there's, it feels to me like there's less of that stuff. Um, and yeah, it would be interesting, Steve, to like... Less, but non-zero. And maybe, Al, you should do this experiment. <laughs> maybe you should... It, Maybe you should do this experiment on yourself, Gail. You could actually go, uh, have they talked about, I wonder if someone has taken, oh, um, if someone has someone attempted to take an introductory course, the Georgia Tech course, have they talked they about actually doing
1: it? I don't think they in,
0: have a
1: lot versus, of, but. I'm not wrong on this, but like so I, in the course, they'll be like, here's how this concept applies to all these other languages. And I'm not sure they have Rust even on the list. I don't know how old this course is, um, but hopefully I'm not wrong on that. But um, but yeah.
0: I can't hear oh, huh. embarrassingly. I'm so sorry. I'm no interrupting you. I can't hear. So I'll I'll deal with my audio. I'll be back in a second.
3: Brian still uses Linux, so he's got a lot of audio problems. So I can make that joke because he can't currently hear me. So uh... <laughs>
2: yeah, here <you're> calling in from. <laughs> oh no,
3: dad's yeah, back. <laughs> I, I am going to be coming I into can, work tomorrow. No, is- um, if you want to have a meeting, it's like fine. I get yeah. yeah,
0: Uh Yeah, are you yeah? yeah. Do you have availability tomorrow? Just, no, just checking. Oh, no, that's fine. We'll talk Wait, about it. I don't want, want to before talk the, all talks, hands, the all world, hands, not after the all hands. Okay. Yeah. You should, <laughs> uh, yeah. If you you should could, just
1: send them like a, a late night. message. No, I, that... like, I need to talk to you. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. No, 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 no. That was actually I actually. That that was a, I was feeling something very unusual for me, which is Linux is being unfairly maligned and I must rush to defend it. I had actually just pulled my, in my enthusiasm, I just yanked my jack out of the (laughs) wall and couldn't figure out where the plug was. So that was, that was purely just me being a doof. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, you know, one question I wanted to ask you was around just uh, um, you know you you bring up these really interesting historical analogs of the, uh, and uh, talking about Upton Sinclair and the Jungle and Ralph Nader and Unsafe at Any Speed and how we got some pu- public recognition on these things and as I look at like at at certainly our food safety, medical safety, aviation safety, regulatory bodies played a really important role in that and um, I. Personally, like the, I think uh, no entity has done more for aviation safety than the National Transportation Safety Board, and just actually, and there's a kind of a famous and long-going tension, ongoing tension between the NTSB and the FAA, and the NTSB views of the FAA as actually being too beholden to to the kind of commercial airlines. Is there an it, first of all, if, as we look uh, from potentially regulatory solutions, is there an NTSB equivalent that we could do here? Cause that to me would be uh potentially interesting. That's
1: such a good question. I mean, I feel like there's so many different um organizations that think that they're in charge of or have varying levels of responsibility, <laughs> I should say. Like um um there's so many different US government groups that think that like their mandate includes cybersecurity and it they probably it probably does. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know exactly how um, that would happen. Like, uh, is it going to be the cybersecurity strategy out of the office of the national cyber director? Is it going to be? I I know that like CISA and NSA have have given some guidance, but yeah, I don't know. I I'm interested to see how that plays out too. I don't really have any predictions.
3: One. I don't know if this is like an overall possibility, but just like an interesting angle of this happening was uh, when Facebook was going to be making that cryptocurrency, uh, they got dragged out in front of the government and uh, was it a, an FBI director, a senator or somebody had like asked them like, this is like, like, you know, they're they're doing the whole, you know, person being interrogated by the government thing and you know, you tune in. And uh, you got the senator, whoever, being like, I see you're using a nightly version of the Rust programming language. Is there? Are you taking engineering of this thing seriously? Like, how can we trust you? And we all in, like, the Rust world were like, holy crap. Like, this is a government official, like, caring about the difference between the nightly versus non-nightly, you know, release chain or whatever. So... Uh, you know, like that thing happens sometimes. And I think that was like, yeah, they're doing this like security angle, but uh, yeah.
1: It's the FTC. Nope. It could be the FTC. It, I don't know. I think... There's like, um, like what if the, I don't know. I, it's a good question and I don't know. So I'm speculating, but like, what if, like can failure to use memory safe programming techniques be considered an unfair or deceptive business practice it by putting people at, at unnecessary risk of hacked student memory exploitation that would have otherwise been stopped. Like I don't know, maybe. Uh, Adam
3: good... joked about the SEC in the chat, and I replied with a Matt Levine thing, which is everything is securities fraud. And like he, you know, often talks about how companies will sort of you know get sued because if they say in their quarterly earnings you know call or whatever that like uh you know their products are secure, and then like the next week they get hacked and their stock goes down. Then is that like defrauding investors because your product isn't as good as you were? Kind of like that sort of stuff happens. So uh, maybe we'll see a hedge fund try to take out a giant short position about someone's memory on safety.
1: Uh, oh my God. I would be so terrified to say it's like t- <laughs> saying like your product isn't hackable. Like that's like the most dangerous thing
0: to say. <laughs> so- proof is the other one. If you really want to like bring out everybody, say that your product is pamper proof because it definitely is.
2: The yeah, I, I had a kind of wild one al- along these SEC lines where, where we talked about you know the companies and and their engineers and employees. We talked about consumers and and consumer awareness and then about governance. But there's also the ownership of companies in the form of like shareholders and shareholder actions. And is that another way to kind of you know you talk about theory of change? Is that another way to make progress where you know, say Apple or Microsoft shareholders, you talk about Apple and Microsoft um, in the piece, you know, could wow. could say, you know, asking for the board of directors to make commitments or asking for leadership to make commitments around, the, you know, these kinds of vulnerabilities around uh, progress for memory safety. Uh, kind of a wild one, but I,
1: I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Oh my God, that's fascinating. That's a fascinating idea. Yeah. I think you'd have to really make the business case. Like, um, you, you know, this, I don't know if we'd need more examples or what, but like this will save you, you know, money in the long run. Um, yeah, let's, that's super, super interesting.
3: Let's just agree to not pull a Paul Graham and try to like talk about the September 11th of memory safety or whatever, <laughs> uh, because that was in poor taste.
1: Oh, no comment. <laughs> Oh, you don't remember
3: this, Brian? How I... Literally in September no. of 2001, he tried to talk about like Lisp is cool because you can keep code and data separate and therefore a buffer overflow doesn't happen. Just like, you know, someone buffer overflowing their way into the pilot seat of a plane, which is just like, wow. and, like literally in September really, of 2001. Oh, so it's just really goodness. like, yeah, anyway. Uh, that's awful. That's not effective. Well, I advocacy. definitely. You know what,
1: uh, Steve? Program. I'm no I'm not longer a Paul, Paul Graham,
2: Graham fan.
0: Yeah, not a yeah. fan of <laughs> his anymore. That's it. You turned me. That's right. it. <laughs> last straw. That's the last straw. It, it, it definitely was not his tweet today implying that no one should trust journalists. Yes. That has got that has got nothing to do with it. But this business, no, no,
1: that is, is it Mastodon. Um, or is he back on Twitter now?
0: He's back on Twitter
1: now. Okay. Okay.
0: okay. No, he's back on Twitter he's back on Twitter that unfortunately it that was the, the, the Musk unfortunately mm-hmm. backtracked when he actually left that was actually the breaking point for Musk and he realized that he was actually it was which was unfortunate but the, 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 the other, other thing I was
3: going to say was like why pick one organization why not just have all of these people enforce memory safety like who who needs just one government body to make sure this happens <laughs> let's just just get them all and then you know like at least one of them will end up uh you know doing it right like
0: yeah, and I would like it to not be punitive and kind of shame and enforcement-based, yeah. if at all possible, just because I don't know that that's practical. I, I would love it to find a way to be principles-based and best practices-based, and, hey, this is going to allow you to build better artifacts faster, which is true, right? And I, I think that, you know, what can we do to go... I mean, it's like you wonder, I mean, in terms of society's scarce resources... Should we spend that on an enforcement body, a, a regulatory body, or should we spend that on on promoting uh, education standards that do, that do have rust as a as a first language? You know, I mean, it's it um it it, 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 it I, I do kind of wonder. I mean, this is you know, it's kind of it is a bit of carrot versus stick. Um, you know, as Adam, as I think you you observed to me once many years ago, it's like you could you can kind of Beat people with a carrot. Like, wow, that carrot really hurts. Actually, that, what is that carrot made of? Speak <laughs> that that, softly. And ouch. Cold, a big carrot. It, yeah, I mean, but I do think it's like we, we you want to find a way to get people there without w- w- without shame and punishment. But we also like we kind of need to know that this stuff is important, and you need to get there. It's not just enough to kind of wander your way over here terms of memory safety you know
2: so much of education is short of short-circuiting experience and i think brian you were telling me about um uh, canadian engineers wearing the iron ring am i remembering that correctly can, can you I, yeah. I, I, don't, I
0: i remember oh, vaguely the
2: the history of that but um
0: Oh, I mean, any Canadian here, and I'm sure there are plenty. Is like they've got Oh Canada going through their heads right now. I mean, this is the the, the Iron Ring that engineers wear from the collapsed uh, bridge in Quebec, and it is it is putatively made of this collapsed bridge to re- remind all engineers of their obligations mm. to society. Uh, it, and there is a terrific podcast on on exactly this, and the, uh, the uh, that I, I will that I'll I'll drop in the channel. Um, but yeah, so no, this this is an important part of a Canadian a, a Canadian engineering education, and you wear that iron ring. Yeah, me. Are you suggesting that software software I engineers mean, I mean, should wear? We, we should have. have we the need iron the iron yeah cover?
2: the iron ring of unsafety, right? The 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 kind of uh, right. watershed moments that. That kind of uh, short circuit that experience, right? Because that's that's the point of this. Not that everyone needs to build a bridge that falls down, but rather everyone should learn from this historical moment.
1: I should have memory safety challenge coins. So <laughs>
3: it's been
1: it's been five years since
3: I've written unsafe
0: code.
1: People will do anything <laughs> for challenge coins. That's that's. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's okay th- th- no this is a great we need memory safety challenge coins, and then so so yeah how because it feels like ch- a challenge coins seem like a, a bigger thing in the public sector am i making that up wait could you describe a bit of like a, a of what how challenge coins are used oh my I, god i didn't
1: realize that they were like super special until somebody got mad at me because he said he would trade me something for one and i gave him some stickers and took the coin and he yelled at me at a defcon like many many years ago and I'm like, oh, this is, like, you, like important and special. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like um, the ones I've gotten, it's for, like, you actually have to do something to get them. Like, either, like, actually solve a challenge or, like, um, um, I've gotten them for speaking. Um, but I don't know. Like, people collect them and display their, uh, their coins. But then people will just give them out sometimes, too, where they're like, I don't want to take these home. Or just like kind of randomly hand them out, but I know it has military origins. Um, I know it's like used differently in the military, where like um, like there's a, like a hierarchy of coins, and like you have to buy a round if somebody pulls out a coin. If you pull out a coin, then somebody has to buy you a drink. But if somebody has a higher coin, then they have to like you have to buy everybody drinks or something. Like I don't know. I don't oh, know it's that. a
3: PvP MMO. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs>
1: but i haven't gotten one in like i I have a little collection and i'm like i think i need to get a few more to be able to display it um and like i don't know and then i also like feel guilty when people just give me one when i hadn't earned it they're like oh like we we had challenge coins for everybody who solved this really hard crypto challenge but you know we don't feel like taking them home so here take one like i'm like i didn't earn the coin
0: i do love the idea of of steve having Ferris challenge coins that he can <laughs> give out to those that he feels are the, the i and and then the, you got like the you know what would we have kind of you know to, to like to protect safely or something i'm trying to think like what what is going to be the the, the the embossment on the, the ross challenge coin i think it's a good idea though i think it's i mean it's like you need those kinds of incentives right you think like that is you know, what is the origin of that? This is like a a small token, but it's meaningful to people because it represents something substantial that they've actually done. Like, are there, can we do things like that? And that's, I mean, Adam, to your point about the iron ring, it's like the iron ring is meaningful. And what can we do that would be meaningful to say, hey, the, the, yes, you have made this commitment to the craft, to, the, to uh, implementing in a safe language. like a maybe there's an oath i I don't know (laughs) we'll we'll workshop that
1: that. good point though about exactly instead of just getting yelled at
0: (laughs) yeah i mean i think you do i think that you need some incentives and i think you can you know structure and even from a regulatory perspective i think you need you need to structure that as incentives i mean we just Went through this FCC compliance um, the exercise, and which you talked about last week, which was really interesting and educational for me. Part of what I actually like about that is it is a bit of a nuanced process because they know that, like, th- there is no practical way for the FCC to audit everything that you ship and to put everything that you ship in a chamber. It's like that's not going to work. So They've got to find a different kind of a process where they've got these other these private bodies that are that insurers trust, and then they evaluate you. and It felt like a uh, a more nuanced process, but didn't lose its kind of quantitative artifacts. It's like you have to be you have to achieve these these kind of quantified goals. So I'm not sure if that's an that's an analog or not, but. It does feel like there is there is some kind of public part private partnership that is possible here. I do wonder too if, like,
1: um, like I think the transparency has a big, like, if you like, say you bring your percentage of bugs, like, like down from you know seventy eighty to of memory safety bugs down to like a lower level because of this implementation, but nobody's going to know that if you don't make those statistics public. Um, And just posting statistics, like we've seen, is like meaningless when people are like, oh. Um, I posted publicly that, you know, 90% of our staff are white men or whatever, like, like just posting that isn't like enough. Um, Yeah. So, right.
0: Yeah. When just the earlier point about the charity of metrics, but uh, it feels like, I mean, I think it all of this starts with, I think, getting more public attention on this issue and allowing more people to kind of appreciate this we get hopefully rust brought up at more super bowl parties so steve good going on your alt there we gotta get uh but yeah i mean the, the work you're doing is uh is really essential here and thank you very much for being willing to get a bunch of practitioners in the room and uh find a forum where they could kind of give you unvarnished information and then you could collect that and i think what you you know you you kind of uh self-disparagingly called it uh, that it said it was not capital j journalism but uh this is a great piece that you've got you got here and uh I, I would just i think on behalf of all software engineers would encourage you to thank you for it and to uh encourage you to explore more in this vein because there's a lot of thank good you.
1: yeah thing. and if people have ideas about what we should be doing and some of the things we talked about on here i'm, I'm definitely would love to hear them
0: Well, I think mediocre memory oh, safety has got to be. I I, 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 that that would be my challenge. I will give you this this Rustation challenge coin <laughs> if you can give a talk on mediocre memory I safety. I'd love that talk. I think it'd be great. Well, Yale, yeah, well, thank you very, very much for for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, and just. Really, I, I, hopefully you uh, can come back and, and uh, you know, good luck with your your future work. And hopefully, are you going to continue to do work in the kind of this vein? I mean, has this been, have you gotten good feedback on this? Is this yeah, stuff you're going to do more of? Yeah, really
1: great. Like, we got more of a response than I expected. So I definitely want to keep working on this. And, of course, other things like it. And, yeah, thank you so much for your being, you know, I don't, I don't know. This is really cool. I listened to your podcast last week and I was like, wow. <laughs> Like I don't usually get that kind of feedback, so it was pretty cool.
0: Did you feel that I say "God bless" too frequently? Because there are certain people in this room who will remain nameless who believe that I say "God bless." No, you too frequently? I, you know what? It's just frequently, frequently. <laughs> I think. And okay, okay. Technically, you merely asked me the question. Do you know how I, frequently I, you say "God so, bless"? Tonight, you've I mean, moved much to much good Anya, and that's not escaped my attention. <laughs> I often say good on you. I feel, is, is, is that my view? Is this the one of the, another one of these things that I'm the only one that says? I
3: think I've maybe well, heard uh, another person
0: say it well, before, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you've heard, you've heard <laughs> another person well, good on them. I'm not sure wow. how good, good the quality then. of the <laughs> audio it's, it's was. You all. I, I
3: don't think that they sounded like a millennial podcast when they were saying it, though. So, <laughs> you know, really, yeah. It's I was good.
1: just happy you didn't ask me any questions about you right. so... <laughs>
0: <That's my feedback. laughs> the, the, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> God bless unicornals and and good on you, Rust. All right. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks, sir. everyone.